This morning we're going to have a look at uh, a passage in Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, you might want to grab it. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about the gift of grace. The hymn writer John Newton very famously wrote of amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The rap and grime artist Stormzy sings of being blinded by grace. And even more recently, Louis Capaldi has been singing, your grace, your grace, don't take it away. There is something so captivating to the human spirit about grace. It's beautiful, it's mysterious, it's sweet. It brings amazement and delight. It brings laughter and joy. Grace, this undeserved gift. A free gift where none is deserved. Or as a friend recently described it to me, grace is when someone punches you in the face and you buy them an ice cream. (laughs) Last Sunday morning, I was at our HDB Queensgate services. And as I arrived at the church, I looked down and saw what I was wearing. And I, I saw on my jumper that I had a few specks of toothpaste. And as I inspected my jumper a little bit more closely, I noticed uh, a stain down my arm where my six-year-old son had wiped his nose on me that morning. As I looked a little bit further, I found a little patch on my side where my daughter dropped her jam toast on me that very morning. And as I stood at the entrance to the church, I thought, I can't go in like this. I can't go in looking such a mess. But then I remembered that at Queensgate, we, uh, those clergy there and those leading the service all wear robes. And so as I walked into the church, I was handed a set of white robes. So I took off this jumper with all of its mess and I put on a pristine white robe. And it struck me in that moment. So that's a little picture of grace. You know, there are many stories of grace around us. As you've already heard, we're launching our Christmas services today. John Lewis got in there a few days before us. They've already launched their Christmas advert uh, with Edgar the Excitable Dragon. If you haven't seen it, don't worry, I won't spoil the ending for you. But essentially, it's a story of grace where someone, this excitable dragon, (laughs) makes mistake after mistake after mistake yet still receives the love and care of a friend. 
And actually, I think this Christmas, all the Christmas adverts in some way are going to be stories of grace, stories of giving a free gift to someone who is loved. I believe that every story of grace we hear echoes the great story of God's grace to his world. That God has handed you and I something we don't deserve. Grace is the means by which God gives us the gift of his love. So that whoever you are, whatever you've done, by his grace, you are loved. And you know, we all know there is mess in our own lives. There's the stuff we get on us, the stuff that's our fault, the stuff we know we've done wrong. There are the things that other people do to us that mark us. And then there's just the mess of the world we live in. God longs to remove that sticky, staining mess and replace it with something beautiful, an experience of his grace. In Matthew chapter nine, we read about how Jesus sees this man, Matthew, a Jewish tax collector. He's collecting taxes from the Jewish people on behalf of the Romans. And he's probably at the same time cheating the Jewish people a little bit as well. And so Matthew is hated, hated by the Jewish people, hated by all those religious people. And he's thought of as a traitor who's collaborating with the Romans. But Jesus has dinner with Matthew, has dinner with Matthew and a whole bunch of tax collectors. And some of the religious people, the Pharisees, they can't understand how Jesus, a rabbi and a teacher, how is he around these kind of people? Because in their tradition, anyone who was not living up to the, the, the way they interpreted God's laws, to the strict rules they thought you should live by, anyone not living like that was an outcast. You couldn't be associated with them. The Pharisees were living by a performance-based religion. If you live up to the moral standards, you're a success and you can be accepted by God. But to them, if you fail those standards, you're a religious failure and they believed you were not accepted by God. And that kind of performance-based religion I think is at the heart of every human being. And I know for myself that my sense of self is so often determined by what I do. If I deal honorably in my relationships, if I'm being generous and kind, if I'm paying my taxes, being a good citizen, if I'm praying regularly, if I'm going to church, then I feel like I'm a good person, I'm significant, I'm worth something. But when I mess up, when I let people down, when we do the things we know we shouldn't do, and when we distance ourselves from God or from the church, we can begin to feel a failure, begin to feel condemned. I read an article uh, from the BBC last week about an Islamic scholar in Indonesia who was recently caught and punished for committing adultery. And it turned out that this was actually the scholar who had written the moral laws for that community. The laws he had written, he'd failed to live up to himself. And as I read that, I knew that 
is the story of my life, that I never live up to the standards that I think everyone else should live by. I'm generally a calm person, but there's one thing that gets my blood boiling, and that is bad drivers. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was on my morning commute, um, and I was driving on a, a main road during rush hour, and I knew a little shortcut, so I took a little back street. And as I went down this back street, I came up behind a Volkswagen Golf. And what surprised me was that this Golf was driving way under the speed limit. And so I thought, well, with this poor driver, they've probably just not realized that there are other people on the road who might want to drive a little bit quicker. So I thought, I'll just help them be aware of my presence on the road. So I drove up quite close behind this car. Well, I say quite close, incredibly close behind this car. But the car did nothing. Didn't speed up, didn't get move off the road. So I thought, well, I'll probably just have to make them really aware that I'm behind them. So I started to swerve into the middle of the road and attempt to overtake this car as, I was, as we were driving along. And after several swerves and several overtaking attempts, to no avail, this car did not get any faster. In fact, the car got slower and slower, and to my disbelief, it slowed to a stop. And then the head, a head popped out of the driver's window turned round to me and said, hello, Ben, are you in a rush? <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. It was someone from church. <laughs> you know, I was horrified. I couldn't believe it. I thought in that moment, I am never going back to church again. No one can know what an awful driver I am. You know, when we live by our performance, if we do well, we think we deserve everything. We think we, we can be proud of ourselves. But when we fail, we think we're worthless. We think we need to be out. And I think many of us, we go through this cycle day after day of the ups and downs. And it's right in to the middle of this that Jesus sees Matthew, Matthew who is the definition of a moral failure, condemned by the world around him, and probably condemned by himself inside. Jesus sees him, and he speaks to him. He sees Matthew where he is. He gets into Matthew's world, and he says, follow me. And today, whether you feel you're a picture of moral perfection, or perhaps whether you're just too aware of your own failings, Jesus sees you where you are. He gets into your world, and he says, follow me. Follow me, there's a better way. I don't know if you've ever uh, been around doctors, maybe you've been at lunch or dinner with some doctors or maybe even just seen doctors on a, a TV show, but most doctors uh, have a, a time when they're on call. You can be with them and suddenly their beeper goes off and they have to leave immediately. When their beeper goes off, it tells them that there's something that deserves their attention far more than what's currently in front of them. Jesus sets off Matthew's beeper. He sets something off for Matthew that says, there is something else. There's something more for you than the life you're currently experiencing. In the Narnia book, Prince Caspian, C.S. Lewis writes of how one of the characters, Lucy, is a little girl, hears the call of King Aslan. 
a king who she's, she's not seen or heard from for a long time. And C.S. Lewis writes this, Lucy woke out of the deepest sleep you can imagine with the feeling that the voice she liked best in the world had been calling her name. A friend of mine for the last couple of years has been um, really away from any kind of relationship with God and the church and just not interested in it at all. And over the summer, as some of you may have done, he watched Stormzy's performance at Glastonbury. Really, his career-defining performance, which is one of the cultural moments of the year. And in the middle of that show, Stormzy gets on stage, surrounded by a gospel choir. And he leads the hundreds and thousands of people there in these words. Lord, I've been broken, although I'm not worthy. You fixed me. I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. And as my friend heard these words, his beeper went off. He heard Jesus call to him. He heard a voice say his name. He heard God calling him back to a different way. And I wonder if there's someone here today. Maybe you feel like you've been sleeping, distant, but today you've heard the call that there is something more than the life you're currently living. God is calling you out of a life based on your performance and into his grace. And the event that Jesus calls Matthew to is a dinner. And at this time, eating together was far more than about just food. It was about intimate friendship, about sharing lives together, associating with each other. You know, meals are relational. You learn from the people you eat with. You become like the people you eat with regularly. And this is a picture of how Jesus invites us to be with him, to be known by him, to become like him. In the last few months, I've made a a new friend, one of the guys, uh, he's part of the team here at HTB, and one of the things I, I really like about this guy is how fun he is. Being around him, I have a fun time. He makes me laugh. And, you know, actually, I can sometimes be a a little bit serious. I can get a little bit caught up in my own mind and my own thoughts. And what I love is that he brings fun to my life. You know, it's only been a couple of months that we've been hanging out. But I think in those couple of months, I might just have become a little bit more fun myself. (laughs) I feel a bit lighter. I take things a little bit less seriously. I take myself a little bit less seriously. Seriously, the people we're with change us. For the Pharisees, they thought that if someone associates themselves with tax collectors and sinners, you could be contaminated by the presence of their moral failure. But the amazing thing here is that Jesus shows us that good things can be caught too. That those who hang around with Jesus can catch his goodness. If you're cold, you need to be around something warm. If you're wet, you need to wrap yourself in something dry. But if you are in need of joy, peace, power, or forgiveness, you need to get close to Jesus. Jesus says, anyone I come in contact with, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how ashamed or how guilty you feel, he says, I will make you instantly 
clean. He says, I will forgive everything you've done wrong. I will remove your anxiety and your self-doubt. And he says, I will replace it with the honor of being my beloved son or daughter, filled with a peace of never needing to earn a place with him. God is calling you in to his grace. So how can we receive this gift? Well, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus here, he's quoting a passage in the Old Testament book of Hosea where God tells his people he doesn't want their sacrifices, their their religious rituals. Instead, the kind of life God desires is mercy. And I think the word really that, that is closest to what the meaning there is, is love. God desires love, a devotion of the heart. God does not desire a level of performance, rather a heart that is humble, a heart that knows its need, a heart that is open to him. God's gracious gift of love, of his approval, of his presence with you, of his transformation in your life, is not given as a reward. Jesus says he doesn't call those who are successful, who think they're healthy or who think they're righteous, but he calls people who realize that all they have is need. To receive a gift, all you have to do is open your hands and open your heart. And when you do, Jesus gives you himself. You know, that is what we're going to be celebrating this Christmas with all of our Christmas services. It's why we're inviting the city to come and hear about the Christmas story. Because unlike the Christmas adverts that try and inspire us to be gracious, Christmas tells us that God has been gracious. He has come into the world, not to give us rules to live by, but to live a life in place of us. Jesus saw Matthew at the tax collector's booth. He sees you today. He sees you in your home. He sees you in your workplace. He sees you wherever you are. And he calls you in to his grace. He calls you to a life where he can tell you, I don't require your sacrifice. I don't require your performance because I perform perfectly in your place. He says, I will sacrifice my life for you. And he says to you, I will be imprisoned so you can be free. He says, I will be rejected so you can be loved. And he says, I will die so you can live a life and a life in all of its fullness. And then he goes to the Pharisees. He says to them, go and learn what this means. I love it. He gives them homework. He says, investigate it. Think about it. Question it. Ask it. Ask for it. Discover it. It's why we do Alpha. It's why we're doing Christmas. Because we want people to ask for it, to discover that there is a grace for them. That God loves good people. That's nothing new. But that God might love you and I in all of our ups and downs, in all of our victories and mistakes. Well, that is grace. Grace.